Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So we're just looking at those, those five verses, and um, my translation that I'm going to teach from and read from is a little different than the one you have in your hand. Um, mine is called the New Living Translation. It doesn't make it any better or any lesser. It's just a different type of translation into English. And for me, it's a little more simple for me to understand because I'm a pretty simple person, um, and I don't know big words. So I like to read from this translation, and I'm just going to read it. We're going to break down verse by verse and then talk about each one, and hopefully we'll talk about it together, and you guys will respond a little bit. Um, But the first verse, verse 13, it says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. What, so if we're talking about faith produces wisdom, if we read that verse, what does wisdom then produce? You can look back at it for a cheat. Good works, right? What, what do good works mean? Like, what are good works? Yeah. Good works can look like a lot of different ways. It can be serving within your church, without your church. It can be helping, you know helping clean up a neighborhood, helping serve at Share the Warmth, helping having people in your home, um, cooking meals for people, giving financially. There are many different ways to have good works, but like Adam said, they come from obedience in um, God. And we read here that our faith, if it produces true wisdom, it produces wisdom from God, then that wisdom produces good works in our lives. So we cannot claim to be wise or have wisdom if we are not producing good works. And in the chapter right before this, it says faith without works is dead. Like you cannot claim to have faith if our works are not, like if we do not show works in our faith, it is not real. And, and that being said, like I can sit there and look at that and be like, oh man, I really gotta be doing a lot better. I'm really not doing a lot of good works. And the moment we start thinking like that is the moment like we start doing fake good works because they are an overflow of our heart. Like. Good works are an overflow from our relationship with Jesus. They come from a place of him, not from a place of ourselves. Um, And we can often try to fake that and and, and make fake good works, but we just get sick of it and, like, get really bitter and, like, don't want to do them. Um, But our, our faith in Jesus produces wisdom in him, an understanding in him, a relationship in him that then leads to good works because it's an overflow of our relationship with God. Um, and we see that more and more as we read through this. In verse 14, we'll continue. It shows a little bit of the opposite of wisdom. So the first verse we learn, you know, this is wisdom from God and it produces good works. And then it says this, this will be, this is the opposite. We read in verse 14. It says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. 
So I started to think about that a little bit. What is bitter jealousy? Does anyone have an idea of what bitter jealousy is? To be fair, I Googled it, so if no one knows, I don't, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me because I Googled it too. So I came up with a definition of bitter jealousy from um, the dictionary was when you want something someone else has so bad, you start to become bitter or angry towards that person or your situation. So you want something so, so bad and you're so jealous that the other person has it that you become angry and you're like, I just wish I could have that. I wish I could be that. And you get mad at your situation or you start to be mad at the person who has the situation or things you want. So that's bitter jealousy. And then selfish ambition is a strong desire to do or achieve something regarding yourself or your own personal gain. So you just think of the word ambition, you know, like drive to do something, but then selfishly is the ambition to do it for yourself only, not for other people or for the benefit of anyone else, but for yourself only. Um, but then I also wanted to think of like a good definition for the word ambition alone, not just selfish. I was curious and I came up with this definition, which we're going to hang on to for later. The dictionary defines ambition as desire and determination to achieve success is a very, very vague word. But we're going to hold on to that and remember that the selfish way is we desire that badly for ourselves. But now that we know bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, we can understand the verse a little more and try to realize ourselves in this. So it looks, if bitter jealousy and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up with boasting and lying. Where do we see that in our lives, really? I tried to break this down like simply, like, where am I seeing this in my life happen? Where am I being this? Because obviously it was written to the church and written to people who were experiencing this. And so I think we oftentimes try to cover up our selfishness or our, like, jealousy with, like, fake good works, like I was talking about. I think we can play the part very well um, when we show up on Sunday we can play the part of like the good Christian, you know, has it all together. We have our lives figured out and we're this good person and we do these good things. Maybe I helped set up chairs today, so you know, I'm good. And then I can go back to my week and um, I can be selfish. I can live for myself now because you know, Sunday morning I, I helped tear down. Sunday morning, you know, I didn't eat two muffins, I only ate one. So you know, this is a little silly way, but Seriously, though, we try to cover up our selfishness and our jealousy with, like, what we call good things. And, and, and right here, he's, like, straight up saying, like, no, that's so fake. And, like, it's the opposite of wisdom. And you're living in a vicious cycle of, like, jealousy and bitterness because you start doing these things to make yourself feel better. And because you're like, maybe if I do this, then this will happen and good things will come to me and I'll be in their situation. But then you don't. And then you just get more bitter and more jealous. And it just keeps building up instead of just releasing all of that to the Lord and saying like, I just want your wisdom. I want to serve you, not myself. And I think another way we can cover up our selfish ways and our jealousy is by talking bad about other people. Has anyone ever said something bad about someone? If you haven't raised your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> you're lying in here. Like I know it because this is where I really struggle. Like for real, I'll see someone who's like doing really well in life and I'll just get so mad and I'll be like, man, 
they're probably doing stuff wrong. I'm like, man, they, uh, they're just out here spending so much money. Like, I'll see someone go do something. I'm like, man, they're just wasting money. And, like, I get jealous. And, like, instead of being like, man, I'm so happy for them. I'm so glad that, like, they're living right now in this place. And I just want to be happy for them. I oftentimes get so jealous. And then I'll start saying bad things about that person. I'll be like, yo, Juan, did you see what Graham did, man? Like, I can't believe he's doing that. Like, I'm so much better than him. And, like, we start to do that, though. Like, not necessarily in, like, as mean of a way, but we really do. We try to cover up our own selfishness and jealousy and, and bitterness of other people's situations by talking bad about them. And that's so, like, so toxic for us because then it just, like I said, creates this cycle of being more bitter and angry about your situation instead of, like, just saying, that's really great for them. I'm really glad that they're living that way and that they're having a good time and enjoying life and, and not being so selfish. And like the root of being jealous is like being selfish because you don't have it yourself. You're like, man, they're going on a trip. I wish I could go on a trip. Now I hate them. Like that's the worst way to like handle a situation instead of like being joyful for that person and like living your life faithfully, like taking yourself out of the situation. But oftentimes I think with seeing the new year and you know everyone's new year, new me, Instagram posts or lifestyles or resolutions, whatever it is, we oftentimes boast about our own selfish ambition, right? Because that's like what the world says to do, to boast about your worldly achievements. Like it really didn't happen if you didn't post it on Instagram, did it? Like you weren't successful, you didn't get to go do something fun unless you posted it on Instagram. You really didn't achieve this if you didn't tell everyone else about it. And like we have to tell everyone. Everyone's got to know and hear about our worldly success. And we even frame our New Year's resolutions based on selfishness, kind of, don't we? Like I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I sit down to write my resolution or what I'm going to do this year, it's never like, it doesn't hardly ever start, if I'm going to be honest, it doesn't start with, all right, I want to live more intimately with Jesus. I want to receive his wisdom. Usually it starts by this, man, I could really lose like 20 pounds. I could, uh, man, I really want to look better. I really want to have like a six pack, but that's never happened. So that's just like not going to happen. But we, off, we start, our, start our resolutions like that. I'm going to get a promotion this year. I'm going to work harder so that then I can have this job. Or I'm going to study really, really hard. Lord, I want to get all A's this semester. Or that's my resolution. I'm going to be the best student I can be. And, and not saying, like, resolutions are bad, but, like, all of that usually comes from a place of wanting to see myself glorified. It comes from a place of selfish ambition like we just read, which then when we don't achieve those things, say at the end of the year we haven't lost 20 pounds, which never happens for me, and we don't get the next best job, we don't get the promotion, we don't get all A's, by the end of the semester we're really bitter. You're really jealous of the person that maybe did get the thing you were working for. Because we start building our idea of wisdom and success based on what the world says is success. The world says set your New Year's resolutions on this is going to be my year, the year of me. I will be successful. And I started to think about what is success? So does anyone remember our definition of ambition? What was it? Juan, you nodded your head. Yeah, desire and determination to achieve success. And I was like, 
well, that's kind of vague. Like, what is success? Like, that leaves a whole open door of what it means to be ambitious. And I started to look and Google again. I'm a great Googler of information. I'm, uh, like, knowledgeable in all things because of Google. Um, I don't master it. I just know a little bit to hold a conversation. And um, so I Googled success. And oftentimes, success is defined as this. This is how we see success in the world. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, but this is how the world says this is what's successful. Getting the better job, getting the better pay, getting the better car, having the better house or apartment, having the better clothes, having a better image of yourself is how we define success. How the world defines success. And I even Googled successful person because I was going to throw up an image of like, someone like celebrating or something and the first image was someone like squatting over a pile of cash and cash like raining on their head if that's not like the perfect image of what the world defines as success i don't know what else is so that's when we read our definitions of ambition this is what the world says desire and determination to achieve a lot of money that's how we should set our goals this year, guys. We should, we should get, like, you know, you often hear people say, we got to get this bag. You know, we got to get it. We got to get all this money. It's going to be ours. We're going to get the next best thing. And that's what the world says is successful. And so often we let that become our definition of success. We let that guide our goals for the new year. And then we start to read all these self-help books, right? Has anyone ever read a self-help book? I've read one before. It was like, best diet tips or something like that. Look, guys, if you haven't noticed, I've always tried to lose a lot of weight and it never happens. But I'm happy with myself now. So, but we read these self-help books and we think that, like, because this person has the worldly definition of success, like, I should trust what they say and then I will have success. Like, I'll read a book by Bill Gates because he has what the world defines as success and if I follow his steps, if I follow them, then you better believe I'm going to be happy at the end of the year. I'm going to be so wise. I'm going to receive the wisdom of the guy who created Microsoft. And I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to have so much money and be so happy. And that's where it all goes wrong. That's where we let selfishness come in because that's all like trying to self-help ourselves for our own gain. Not... I want to help myself become more like Jesus, like the one person who will truly make me happy, right? Like I start defining success as the world does instead of saying the only self-help book I need is the words from God. Like if I'm trying to get my life back on track, if I'm trying to come back to the Lord, why am I wasting my time with these words of these worldly people saying, live in the now, live in this, like you need to do these six steps to have this success. But, like, why are we not turning to the words of the Lord to say, like, Lord, I want your wisdom? And I'm not saying these other books are bad. I think there's a lot of great authors out there who can, who can give you great tips on management and organization and even Christian authors who put out great books. And I'm not saying New Year's resolutions are bad. I don't think you, like, will ever achieve a goal if you don't set a goal. Like, if I started the new year and said, I want to read the Bible more, I'm going to read the Bible more and you don't set any goals, well, if I just pick up the Bible and read one word, that's reading the Bible more. So we've got to set these goals in our lives if we're going to be successful, but the question is, how are we defining success in our lives? 
What is our version of success? Do we want what the world says is success and wisdom, or do we want what the Lord defines as wisdom? In reality, this is what like worldly wisdom and success leads to as well. If we read verse 15, it says, For jealousy and selfless ambition are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I mean, straight up, right there, it just tells you, like, hey, guess what? That's evil. Those, those selfish ambitions and goals that you're setting, that's evil. That's from evil. And then when we start to realize that, it's like, ooh, I kind of want to stay away from that. (laughs) Like, that seems kind of scary, right? Like, setting these goals selfishly for myself and wanting to achieve, like, success for me. You're like, that's kind of evil. I don't want to mess with that stuff. You know, I don't mess with those kind of scary movies. You know, I watch, like, the Friday the 13th and things like that. Like, because those dudes, you know, are dudes. I can, I can fight a dude. I don't watch those demonic movies, you know, like, like The Ring where she like crawls out of the TV or creepy things like that. I don't mess with that because that's real stuff. Like demonic stuff is real. This is real. Like selfish ambition and jealousy is evil. It comes from an earthly, unspiritual place. And this is what it creates. This is what happens when we live in that. And you will see the world. This is where the world is. In verse 16, it says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Do you think our world is a little, like, chaotic? Would anyone say that the world is full of disorder and evil of every kind? You wonder why? Because everyone's living for themselves. Like, this is how the world operates. It's like jealousy. You want what other people have. And that's not a bad thing in the world's eyes. It's like, you should want what they have because it's the best stuff. And then selfish ambition. You should want to get yourself the best stuff too. And the world says, that will make you happy. But then, like, look at the world around us. Is it a happy place? No way it's a happy place. It is so chaotic. It is so full of disorder. And even on a smaller scale, like, look where you work or look at your school. Would you say that there's chaos and disorder there? If you say no, you're lying. Like, no job is like, does not have a little bit of disorder. Um, like, look at your job and look at your school. Can't you see the disorder in it? Do you see the selfish ambition and the jealousy? You see people talking behind people's backs, talking bad about a coworker. You know, they're willing to step on you to get the next promotion. They're willing to throw you under the bus so that they can look better in front of the boss. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get the most money to get the next position. They're willing to be selfish because they're only worried about themselves. That's why our jobs and our school and our world is full of kind of this like disorder. And it just feels uncomfortable. You know, you go into work and it feels like a battle often. Like you can go into your workplace and it feels like everyone's fighting against each other. And guess what it is? Like straight up here, James writes that. He says, Wherever selfish ambition and jealousy are, there is disorder of every kind and evil. Wherever we step into the world, that's what's there. And like we can expect nothing else. The difference is our lives should not be that. Our church, our people, we should never look like that. We should never bring chaos and disorder and evil into places. We should bring bring peace and rest and the wisdom 
from above. But it's really easy for me to get wrapped up in my job and achieving what the world defines as success that I oftentimes bring just as much disorder as those around me. But how often or how different would our workplace look or our school would look if we walked in tomorrow on Monday with wisdom from Jesus? What if we walked in bringing the peace? Well, and then you might ask, well, what does wisdom look like? What is wisdom? Hey, guess what? Let's check out verse 17. So verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always, always sincere. Does anyone's work look like that? Does anyone know anyone at work that looks like that? I do because thankfully I work in a church, so I think Graham is evident of that oftentimes, and James, our pastor, is evident of that oftentimes. But I have worked, before I moved here, I worked in finance, and like, it was literally the opposite of this. Like, complete opposite. Wisdom from God is first of all pure, free of any contamination. That's not finance, guys. I promise you that's not finance. Like, there's so much, like, corruption in there. And then peace-loving. How many peaceful and loving people do you see at your work? That's, like, truly peaceful because then it says, like, later it says sincere. Sincerity means, like, genuine and real. Like, oftentimes at work you'll meet people that are peaceful, and but, like, it's super fake. And they're like, psych, I was just doing this so I could get the promotion. And they're, like, really mean to you. Or they're like, psych, I don't like you. I just wanted the good grade on the project. And they'll, like, kick you down. But, like, this is what he calls wisdom from above. First of all, pure. That means free of any contamination. Pure because it's from Jesus, and he is pure. Peace-loving. That means avoiding conflict or aggression at all times. It means you love to create peace. It is all you want to create. Gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Everyone knows what gentle means, you know, not desiring to push or get away or get your own way in other people's lives, but willing to be gentle and yield to other people. I think that's where I struggle the most. Um, I like to be right, if you don't know me well. Um, I really enjoy being right, and like I'll fight for it, and I'll like fight to prove you wrong, even though like I probably shouldn't. Like Autumn and I had this conversation the other day. She was like, do you ever think like, hey, maybe I shouldn't prove myself right because it's not the right time, or maybe like other people might not like it. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> so, like, just know, like, I struggle here with you. You're not alone. Like, <laughs> uh, guys, I struggle so bad right here, uh, being gentle and willing to yield to other people. Um, full of mercy. Um, one of my lowest spiritual gifts is mercy. Has anyone taken, like, a spiritual gifting test? I've taken one. Like, you can do them online. I've done one through churches and stuff. And so, like, it's supposed to be anywhere from ranges, like, it can be zero to, like, 15 usually. And, like, evangelism is, like, 15, teaching, 14, uh, leading, 13, great. And then it gets down to, like, uh, mercy, and it's, like, two. And, like, most people don't have two in anything, guys. It's, like, usually 10 or above. And it's, like, oh, you got a 10? You're really struggling there. I get a two, and they're like, man, you must hate people. And I'm like, no, I don't hate people. I just really struggle with showing mercy 
because like that comes from the part of me wanting to be right. I'm like, well, I shouldn't show mercy on you because you were wrong. You were dumb. You shouldn't have done that. And like, that's so not Jesus, but like being honest, that's where I struggle. Does anyone else feel that way? Sometimes it's so hard to look at a situation and be like, man, you're so dumb. Like, come on, why'd you do that? Like, you're so dumb. Um, but like, that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to have his wisdom and show mercy. And the fruit of good deeds, what is that? Galatians 5, 22 through 23, you know, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Does anyone know the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Man, you guys had it. You guys could have done it. So, yeah, those are the fruit of good deeds, the fruit of the Spirit. So, full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So, there's no condition on it, no pretenses, and it's real. It's so hard to find real, genuine people in the world today without a pretense or without people being super fake. But verse 17 shows what the character of a person with true wisdom should look like. Pure, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, no favoritism. Isn't that the total opposite of what the world says? Like I'm reading this and I'm like, man, this is like the opposite of my nature too. Like these words are literally the exact opposite of my flesh. I read these and I'm like, mm, man, that's hard. That's hard too. That's just as hard. And it's because it's the opposite of what the world says. The world says, first of all, you don't have to be pure because you're looking out for yourself. Like a lot of times we see the world define things as like, hey, just don't kill people. You know, don't do crazy drugs. But other than that, like, just do whatever you want. Like, that's what the world says. It says, just do whatever you want. So you don't have to be pure. Peace loving. Only, only, you know, peace loving when it benefits you. But, but the other time, you know, turn tables, get what you want. Be the leader. Be authoritative. That's what the world says. Gentle at all times. No way. You can't get your way if you're gentle. That's what the world says. Full of mercy. Why should I have mercy? I'm the one on top. I'm the one who casts down. I don't need to have mercy. That shows weakness. Oftentimes in the world says mercy is a sign of weakness. Really, it's a sign of compassion. Showing no favoritism in the world's like, why? You only favor the people who do good to you. Why would you favor anyone else? So reading through what God calls us to, the wisdom from above, what it looks like, like, wow, this is the exact opposite of how the world operates. This is the exact opposite of insert any name you want, any person you know, like any person who doesn't know Jesus. And that's what we can expect. But like that doesn't mean we come at them with like this anger to be like, man, you should be so much better. That's what we should expect the world to behave like. So we should know that's coming. But then this is our response. Verse 17 is our response, how we exist in a world that is full of selfishness and jealousy. We exist as pure, peaceful, gentle, merciful, and showing no favoritism and being sincere. Because in a world where that's the complete opposite, it is so, so noticeable. When we walk into our job or our school with the character and the wisdom from above that looks like this, people are like, what's wrong with you? That is so weird. Like, they might think you're weird because like you're not out to get the best for yourself. You're there because Jesus wants you to be there and you want to see him glorified. And I think, 
like, it's so noticeable in the workplace because our workplaces and schools are so often places that don't have peace. Would anyone say that their school or job is peaceful? Anyone? Juan, is your school peaceful? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Like, it isn't. It's, it's, it's not. It's not going to be. So what happens when we are people of peace, people of God's wisdom, in a place where there is absolutely no peace? There's no rest. What starts to happen? So does anyone have a dog or a cat or any other pet? You could have a fish or something. I don't know. No one has a pet here? Does it, okay, has anyone ever been around pets like animals, dogs, or cats? Okay, we'll work off of this then. Okay, so when I was younger, I, had, I have a dog. He's still alive. He's like 15. So I got to see him one last time. And, and, and I parted ways. But so when he was younger, when I was younger, I'd walk into the house and mom would say, don't get Petey. His name's Petey. She said, don't get Petey all riled up. And then I would just, I'm like jumping at him. I'm like running at him. And I'm like, ah, ah. And he's like jumping and running around too. But like the animal or dog or cat like responds to the same energy you put out, right? Like if you run at a dog and you're like, ah, or even with like little kids, like I'm sure if I ran over there and was like, ah, like the kids would be like, ah, right back. They do the same thing. And a cat, like cats, like if you kick at a cat, it's going to go crazy. Like if you, if you like, like do anything crazy to a cat, they're going to go crazy. But like animals and mostly people replicate the energy that you bring. So when we walk into a workplace and we bring aggression and, you know, not mercy and all of this other stuff, it's replicated. People bring it back to us. But when we start to bring into a workplace peace, and wisdom from above. Not necessarily saying people are going to be like really nice to you back or be peaceful, but they're going to stop. And like, it is so noticeable. And you'll notice the kind of peace that it creates around you. And then when we start praying this over our homes, my wife and I started praying this over our homes, that our home would be a place of peace and a place of rest. We see people time and time again come into our home. We pray that the threshold, people feel the peace of Jesus as they walk in. We see time and time again, people walk in and they just go. <sighs> and then we sit down and we eat and they say, I just feel so comfortable here. They say, I feel so peaceful. And then what an opportunity to share the gospel to say like, no part of me is peaceful. Like, if you meet me on a bad day, like, I'm the opposite of peace. But when I receive the wisdom from above, I create peace because he creates it through me. And you will see the impact it has. And you'll see that because the world is, like, completely, you know, doesn't have this peace. It doesn't have this wisdom. And you'll start to look at the world and the world defines success as it does because they're like, if you achieve this, if you get this next thing, if you get all this money, if you get the coolest clothes, if you have the best car, you will maybe be happy. You'll maybe have peace. Maybe you'll be able to rest. If you get enough money, then maybe you can not work as many hours and you can just rest a little bit and you'll be happy. You'll have peace in your life. That's what the world says to do. But guess what? People are still working for it and they haven't found it. That's why the workplace, your school is crazy because people are trying to work for this happiness, for this peace and this rest, and they're not getting it. And they're like, why am I so unhappy? Why is life so miserable? It's because it's not real peace. Only Jesus brings in real peace. Only his wisdom and his character is what people are looking for. 
Why are we not bringing that with us wherever we go? Why are we trying to bring our own success, our own jealousy into places instead of the real answer and peace and wisdom that people are so looking for, that even we're looking for? And we look for it in so many other ways. What if our goal for 2020 was to have his wisdom, was to have this scripture that we just read? Not selfishly, not because if I have his wisdom and do his good deeds, I'm going to get this, or my life is going to be easy. Because he doesn't say if you carry this with you, your life is going to be perfect, because it's not. It doesn't mean you're going to have everything you ever need, but we do it to bring glory to him so that other people might get a picture of what the goodness of God is like. Because that's what God calls us to to carry his wisdom with us, to bring his peace wherever we go. And then verse 18, we'll read it. It says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So how do we get peace? Anyone? It's in the verse. What? planting seeds of what? Peace. I think so often we think like, even in the world, like, I bring peace by force. If I like insert my, that's so opposite, right? But like, look at the world. It's like, if I insert myself hard enough, I can bring that peace to those people. I can bring this happiness to them and I will fight for it and I'll fight to bring you peace. And it's like, hey, guess what? Like, peace only comes from peace can only come from that. We can't force it into people's lives. We can't fight to get our way to the top and say, okay, I'll bring peace to the people that I'm over. No way that's going to happen. Peace only comes from sowing and planting seeds of peace. Peace will be wherever you bring it. If Jesus has brought you peace in your spirit, it will be wherever you bring it. It's not about forcing it into people's lives. It's about being in people's lives and being and having the wisdom from God and his character. And in the end, it says peacemakers receive righteousness. Does anyone know what the word righteousness means? What? Anyone? Right standing with God. That's perfect. Yeah, simply to be made right. Righteous made right. It's pretty simple to remember. That's my brain's really simple. Like I said, righteous made right. It has right in it. So simply like peacemakers will receive righteousness. They will be made right and justified before the Lord. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Like sounds a lot better than like receiving a bunch of money that will be gone when I die. I'd rather have right standing with God when the end time comes than having a stack of cash or the best job or the best apartment. Like that's the riches in heaven that he talks about. But here's the beauty in this statement. Here's the gospel, the good news in that, that peacemakers can receive righteousness. This is why. We receive this righteousness and peace because Jesus brought it to us. There's no other way that we can have this. There's no other way that this wisdom is available for you here today if Jesus hadn't came and died for it. He came to the world and he lived his life with true wisdom like we read in the scripture today. 
Don't those characteristics in verse 17 sound like the character of Jesus? Pure, peace-loving, gentle, full of mercy. Aren't those like the exact qualities when we think of Jesus? We're like, yeah, he's, he's, he's all those. Because it is his. That's where we receive this wisdom from. That's where we receive these qualities is we get them from him because he died on a cross for you. You can receive this true wisdom today freely because of the gift he gave of his life. Because he came and he lived in this world that is full of chaos and disorder and evil. And he lived a life of true wisdom in God that is gracious, merciful, peaceful, loving, sincere. And then he died on a cross so that you and I can receive that today. So you can receive peace and righteousness and good standing before the Lord. And then so that after that, you can carry it with you so that other people can see and taste it and know that the Lord is good and then they can receive that peace and righteousness. Why would we selfishly hold on to that ourselves? If we've been given this great gift of peace to be righteous, to be made right, why do we set our goals to make ourselves glorified and not set our goals to say, Lord, how can I make you glorified by all means because I have your peace, your righteousness. I need other people to see this. The only reason our faith can produce wisdom is because of what Jesus did. And it's for you and me today. It's not for us to just read and say, oh, those are good words. And like, church, I don't ever want us to step out of this place discouraged. Like if, if you are maybe reading verse 17 or the other verses about jealousy and saying, man, I've really done bad. Hey, I'll give you a hug after the service. You and me both. Like you and me both, I promise you. But this is the gospel of Jesus, like it doesn't have to stay like that. Like you can walk out of this place in his righteousness today. You can walk out of this place with his wisdom today. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to see you glorified. I want to stop seeing myself glorified. Don't ever walk out of here discouraged, feeling down, like I've got to do better. I've got to work better. I've got to do this or that. The only thing he asks you to do is receive his gift and spend time with him, have an intimate, intimate relationship with Jesus then guess what? This wisdom comes. As we seek Jesus, the wisdom comes. And then from that, good works come. And then from that, we carry the character of Jesus wherever we go. And we so often do it backwards. We're like, I gotta get my life together. I gotta start working a little bit harder and get some things organized. And then like, I can have more time for Jesus. And then like, I'll be ready. Like, you know, I've just been too far from him lately. I, I don't feel worthy enough to come back yet. Like, I don't need to, to, to surrender to him right now because I've been so far away from him that he just can't accept me. Oh my goodness, what a lie. What a lie. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, all you who are weary, come to me now. He says, come to me now and I will relieve those burdens from you not making everything great or everything better and, and in one hundreds, you know, having all this money and success, whatever the world, like taking the burden of life from you, the burden of having to be something you don't have to be. He comes to release that from you today. He comes to say, you can have peace and righteousness in me. You don't have to work or be good enough to earn it, but you can receive that free gift today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, Dylan, I've just been too far from Jesus for too long. Guess what? Come on, let's go. Let's go. 
Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, it's not over yet. No one says just because you feel like you've been far away means that you can't come back. Like, there's no judgments. Like, Jesus doesn't hold a grudge over you saying, man, I can't believe you've been doing this for so long. The Bible paints a picture of Jesus standing there with his arms wide open saying, I have been waiting for you, my child, to come to me. So don't feel like you're too distant today. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, Dylan, I have this righteousness, but like, I don't really live with this ambition of Jesus. I don't really live with wanting his wisdom. I live with my own goals. As we start the new year and everyone writes their New Year's resolutions, I want us to reevaluate ours. I want us to reevaluate what we're living for, who we're living for. Do we want to see God glorified or do we want to see ourselves glorified? And maybe like, maybe that happens through us just like spending some time in like a little bit of prayer. Whatever you need to do, like, spend some time in the next few moments of prayer and reflection, like seeking, like, just coming to Jesus. Like coming back to the place of Him. Coming to Him to receive these things, to receive wisdom, to receive peace and mercy and righteousness. And leaving all those things behind, leaving our selfishness, our jealousy, our ambition, leaving that back there and saying, Lord, today is yours, is a new day. I'm never tied by what happened in the past, but I'm set free in Christ today. So take some few, take a few minutes to just kind of pray over that in your life. And if you need to talk, if anyone wants to pray or talk through things, I'll be at the back connect table. Um, and, and feel free to come talk to me or Graham or literally anyone in this room. Like, come talk to us. Um, we want to share anything we can with you. We want to pray over you. And there's some note cards in the back on the round table with the Bibles. If you want to write some new resolutions on it, some, like, new goals for this year, they're bright colors. You can write it on there and then place it somewhere you see it every day or place it in your Bible to be like, this is how I want to live this year. These are my goals for this year. I want to have the wisdom of Jesus. I want to have the character of him. I want to live in his, his glory, not my own selfishness. You can write down some of those today, and you can take them home with you. And I think that will be really good if we want to see these things happen. They need to actually be goals. We need to have them written, and we want to achieve them. So spend some time praying, and then after that, we're going to sing a few more songs. So.